Our reading today is taken from 1 Samuel 23 and can be found on page 295 in the Bibles in front of you. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, Go, attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? Once again David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. Now Abathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Keilah. Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah, and he said... God has delivered him into my hands, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David learnt that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abithar the priest, Bring the ephod. David said, Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. Again David asked, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Zip. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Zip, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him to find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You shall be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds of Horesh, on the hill of Hakalah, south of Jeshimon? Now, your majesty, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for giving him into your hands. Saul replied, The Lord bless you for your concern for me. Go and get more information. 
find out where David usually goes and who has seen him there. They tell me he's very crafty. Find out all about the hiding place he uses and come back to me with definite information. Then I will go with you. If he is in the area, I will track him down among all the clans of Judah. So they set out and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Maon, in the Arabah south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men began the search, and when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. When Saul heard this, he went into the desert of Maon in pursuit of David. Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. This is why they call this place Selah Hamalakoth. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Thank you, Judith. Well done for that last name as well. That was, uh, that was very good. Uh, let's pray now and ask God to help us with this. Father, thank you for the Bible. Uh, thank you. We believe it's true. And we pray that you would uh, help us to see how, how on earth this account of stuff that happened 3,000 years ago is relevant for us today. We believe it is. But we want to work it out. So please, Father, would you... Would you help us this morning, for Jesus' sake? Amen. So we're looking at uh, 1 Samuel 23. Do keep uh, that open in front of you. Thinking about life with God. Now, this sounds very old-fashioned, um, but I want to tell you that lots of Christian people do it. And uh, let's be clear, the Bible tells us it's what God wants us to do. That is... That we don't want to sleep with someone until we're married, and then we get married, uh, we'll be starting a whole new life, a whole new relationship. And when we begin married life in this way, uh, then it all seems a bit strange and rather lovely. Uh, someone else in bed with you, sharing everything, and learning to live together, and knocking the edges off each other, and, and so on. Life with a new spouse, a great and a wonderful uh, new adventure. Uh, Christians do still live that way. You may think it's, uh, it's hard to believe, but uh, talking to our children, for instance, and just in this post-university few years, uh, they go to dozens of Christian weddings of uh, couples uh, who have not been living together and uh, on their wedding day are virgins. It still happens. And I think it's absolutely wonderful. And uh, the interesting thing is that when their unbelieving friends go to these Christian weddings uh, and witness this whole new relationship beginning and starting like this, uh, they most likely will never have that kind of experience themselves. But they say, this is brilliant, this is wonderful, and they really mean it. Now, why do I tell you that about uh, 1 Samuel uh, 23? Why do I use that as an introduction? Because of this, is that when you get married, 
and I think perhaps especially when you're getting married as a, per, as a Christian person in those circumstances I've just been talking about there, and you're talking about a new life, an altogether new life with your husband, with your wife. And 1 Samuel 23 uh, is, I believe, just a brilliant picture of new life with God, or just simply as we've abbreviated here, life with God. And it also shows us something of life without God. So as we go to these later chapters in 1 Samuel, uh, we're seeing still on the one side David and on the other side Samuel. So you've got David on a gradual rise to the throne. And then you look at Saul's, did I say Samuel? As you look at Saul's trajectory, you see him on a downward trajectory, just simply on the way out. But here in chapter 23, the focus is really on King David. And it reveals four important things, I believe, about life with God. First of all, that it is a relationship. The Christian life is a relationship. Okay? We'll explain more of that in a moment. Then, uh, second, it's a relationship which will bring trouble. It is not the easy option to be a Christian believer. Third, uh, it is a relationship where there is help. And fourth, it's a relationship where there is protection. But first, let's focus on this whole thing, that this is a relationship. Life with God is a relationship. Now, uh, if you haven't been able to be here recently, the situation is that David is on the run. He is a fugitive. He's been anointed as the next king of Israel, but currently Saul is on the throne. And Saul is is, uh, seeking to track down David and probably, most likely, to kill him. Now, in that situation, David, he's got about 600 men with him now. It's gradually going up. Last week it was 400, this week it's 600. And uh, uh, you look in verse 1 there, and uh, David's told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. Now, Keilah was on the border. And the Philistines would come over the border, and they'd attack a place and carry off a few bits and bobs and so on. But this is getting more serious, because look at verse 1 there, and it says, they're looting the threshing floors. That means they're taking the grain for this year, and they're taking the seed for next year. That means it's no food this year, and it's famine next year. Now that is serious, that is potentially life-threatening. And David's uh, immediate reaction, uh, verse 2, is to pray. He inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? Now, we don't know exactly what was going on uh, here, uh, but David, his immediate thing is to go to the Lord. And if you look on at verse 6, it says that they had, uh, um, uh, Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Keilah. Now, the ephod is a, is a bit like, a, uh, as far as I can work out, it's a bit like a small backpack, which has got a couple of stones in it, the Urim and the Thummim. And the idea is it's to help, well, the, the, the priest would kind of wear his back, back, uh, back to front, kind of on his, on, his, on his front. So it's a front pack, wouldn't it be? Anyway, um, uh, but, but the idea of this backpack thing is, it help, is it's to help make decisions. It's to help with the revelation of God. And it may be, because that's put in there in brackets in verse 6, that that is what is going on here. But you see, the idea is, as we would understand it now, David prays. Because, because we don't go, we don't use an ephod to make decisions. Rather, our way, the, the way that we make decisions is, we have the Bible and we have wisdom. Or we have the Word and we have wisdom. So God gives us the Word for us to read to see the principles, and then we pray for wisdom to help us to apply those principles. 
But in David's situation here, there's a problem. It seems a bit daft, really. He's a fugitive. He's got 600 men. He's got to go and sort out the Philistines. But he asked God whether he should. His reaction, first of all, is to take it to God. And the way they did it was most likely here through this ephod. So he takes it to God. God says, go and do it. David takes it to the men. The men say, you must be crazy. We're just a little bunch of guys and you want us to go out against the Philistines? David goes to the Lord again. The Lord says, no, actually that's what you want to do. That's in verse 4. And what happened? Verse 5. David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. What this is showing, and it is consistently through this chapter, is that here we have a man with a relationship with God. He has God in his mind, he has God in his heart, and when there's an issue, when there's a decision, when there's a problem, it is to God that he goes. I uh, read this week about Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher in the New England Revival and the Great Awakening. And when he was on his deathbed, he, uh, uh, he said this, Now where is Jesus of Nazareth, my true and never failing friend? My true and never failing friend. And that's what Christians would say uh, about our Lord Jesus. My true and never failing friend. Friend, because Christianity is simply a relationship. Now look at Saul. Uh, look at Saul, for instance, in verse 21, you might think uh, Saul replied, um, he's trying to find David, he's asking whereabouts he is, uh, they tell him, and the Lord says, the Lord bless you for your concern for me. And that sounds terribly religious and terribly kind of, um, oh, he's obviously a, a godly man. But then you look earlier in Saul's uh, account here of what Saul is doing. So verse 7, for instance, Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah and he said, God's delivered him into my hands. So, you know, he, he believes that God is there. But there's a whole difference in God being there and having a relationship with God. And Saul has no, uh, other than using the language and knowing that God is there, but there's no kind of going to God and saying, is this wise and the right thing for me to be going? for me to be doing and then in verse 8 he goes off and besieges one of his own towns so look at verse 8 the Saul Saul called up all his forces for battle that's a lot of men to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men because he thought he was hiding there he was locked in that's extraordinary isn't it what a strange thing for the king to do to go and besiege one of your own towns Compare that with David in verse 9. David learned that Saul was plotting against him. He said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod. I want to learn from God. We need to decide the best way to do it. We don't know exactly how the ephod worked. There were these stones in it and so on. We don't know exactly how it worked. We can find out more in, uh, uh, in Exodus 28 and Leviticus chapter 8. Um, but again, you see David had a problem. He had an issue. He had a relationship with God. And what does he do? His first thought, we'll go to God's. We'll go to God and we'll work out what we need to do here. Today, we would be saying, well, we need to pray about it, don't we? And we need to read our Bibles and we need to ask God for wisdom in dealing with this particular issue. David had a relationship with God. In his way then, using the ephod and the guidance and the revelation from God which which this provided, uh, he was going to God. You cannot see with Saul... Anything like 
that relationship with God. So do we pray about our big decisions? That's a good question to ask someone. You know, to say, can I talk over something with you? Say, well, you know, well, have you prayed about it, first of all? And we will pray about it when we talk to, it, to one another. And it's very striking here that, uh, can you turn to Psalm 54? Keep your finger in one summit, it's on page 295 there, but turn over to Psalm 54 uh, on page 575. It's page 575 in our church Bibles. Okay, have you got that? Now, this was written during 1 Samuel 23. Look at the uh, stuff in italics at the top. For the director of music with strings instruments, that's good. Um, a masculine of David, that's a kind of, it's a, it's a technical term saying what kind of uh, song or poem it is. When the Ziphites had gone to Saul and said, is not David hiding among us? When they were betraying him, basically. And David writes a psalm and he says this, Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Arrogant foes, that Saul and his crew, are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard for God. That is Saul and co. Surely God is my help. Uh, The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. It's the Ziphites, probably. I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. You have delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. David's a praying man. David has a relationship with God in the midst of his troubles. That's very significant. So, for instance, when you hear the news, is your first reaction to pray for the people who are going through rough, because so often the news is bad news, isn't it? When you hear about Donald Trump and his uh, executive orders uh, that he's doing, do you pray for him and those surrounding him? Because we should. We really should. Whether we like them or whether we don't like them, we pray for him. We must pray for the man. Um, Do we use the prayer diary here? Uh, do we um, pray in our small group? Do you, as I mentioned earlier on, you get the BH News? Do we use that as, uh, as something to help us to pray? Do we pray for those in our Sunday services, for those leading and preaching week by week? Um, uh, while I'm driving around town, I have a, an extraordinary uh, way of turning traffic lights red. I think they have it in for me. I really do. And, uh, um, but actually, I've got a friend who uh, prays at red traffic lights. He prays for specific things at red traffic lights. What a good thing to do. I really ought to do that more. But why not do that? We all get stopped at red traffic lights, don't we? Why not have particular things you pray for? Ah, oh, these traffic lights, I'm praying for my small group. Or those traffic lights, I'm praying for the children's work. These traffic lights, I'm praying for KO, and so on. Oh, by the way, KO was £380 odd last night at uh, the quiz. Apparently it was a great evening. Anna and I were uh, away up in Bedfordshire visiting some friends. But um, great, great evening, and thank you so much for those who are involved. That was really encouraging, isn't it? Anyway, back to the passage. And uh, Christianity is a relationship. And you can see it here. And you can see in Psalm 54, which was written in the middle of 1 Samuel 23, that actually he turned to God in prayer. And Christian people will do that. That's how one way that we express our relationship with God. It's normal, it's natural, it's life with God. It's a relationship. And in a relationship we will speak. 
And that's what praying is. We're speaking to the one with whom we have this extraordinary relationship. Life with God. First, it's a relationship. Um, Second thing about life with God is it means trouble. It does mean trouble. Now, uh, I've already mentioned Psalm 54, written when, uh, well, actually here in 1 Samuel 23, he's betrayed twice. And in verses 19 to 23, we can just see the precise context of Psalm 54, the Ziphites. Verse 19, went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, uh, uh, is not David hiding among us in the strongholds of Korosh on the uh, the hill of uh, Hakilah, south of Jeshimon? Now, your majesty, you can smug crew on me, your majesty, come down whenever it pleases you to do so and we will be responsible for giving him into your hands. And uh, uh, they're saying, Saul... King Saul, your majesty, David is hiding in, the, uh, in, these, in these, these bad lands. Um, and uh, there's a betrayal there, isn't there? And the trouble is, there is no stranger, trouble is no stranger to Christian people. We should expect trouble. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, a guy who was uh, executed by the Nazis in the Second World War, he said, suffering is the badge of a true Christian. As an English proverb, every path has its puddle, and every Christian life is a path and has probably many puddles. Um, someone else said, it just wouldn't be a picnic without the ants. Well, it just wouldn't be a Christian life without the troubles, okay? As Christian people, Jesus promised it would be, the Christian life, it would be full of fun, it would be full of joy, and it will be full of trouble. And David here, he's pointing forward to Jesus, isn't he? David, God's anointed. Jesus, God's anointed. You see David, you should be thinking and pointing forward to Jesus. And as David, so Jesus, and as Jesus, so us. So what you see David going through in his relationship with God is something that we need to be thinking. Actually, we can expect to go through that as well. David is God's anointed, God's Messiah. Jesus is God's anointed, God's true and complete Messiah. David faced trouble, Jesus faced trouble. And what happens to God's anointed? Happens to God's people. So if you're a Christian, don't expect an easy life. Acts chapter 5, verse 41, uh, talking about the, uh, um, the early church, it says they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, in other words, Jesus' name. Uh, I hope you've heard and have pr- been praying for Asher's Bakery in Northern Ireland. Christian family business facing at least a large fine because they refused to bake a cake promoting gay marriage. Don't expect an easy life if you're a Christian. Trouble is, you see, we do tend to, we expect, don't we, that we would, um, you know, we can get on with our career without it, uh, our faith giving us a problem there. And we rather expect that we'd be able to share our faith with other people without there being any opposition. And we rather expect, don't we, that God would solve our problems and remove all suffering and so on. But the biblical norm for David and the biblical norm for Jesus and the biblical norm for us is suffering. And then glory. That's what happened with Jesus, wasn't it? Suffering. And then glory. Hardship as a Christian is not an optional extra. David teaches us that in 1 Samuel 23. 
Jesus teaches that. The early church teaches us that. Jesus, trouble and glory. And the worst trouble and the greatest glory for Jesus. Nailed to a cross, dying for our sin. But now, reigning in heaven, in glory. And he will return for everyone to see that glory one day. But let's not forget the trouble. And don't think we can all avoid it. So 2 Timothy 3 says this. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a promise. So life with God. This is what it's like. It's a relationship, a brilliant relationship, but there's trouble. But in that trouble, there is help. 1 Samuel 23 reminds me of the search for bin Laden. Um, uh, you remember, you know, they were, the Americans were searching all over northwest Pakistan and Afghanistan as far as they could, uh, you know, in countryside like that and so on. And uh, it was just impossible to find anyone up there until they, they found him uh, uh, in a house in Abbottabad. And, uh, and Saul is after David here. You can see, have a look at verse 8, or verse 15, or verse 19, or verse 25. Look at verse ooh, 15, for instance. Verse 15. And uh, while David was at Horish in the desert as if, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And these remote wilderness areas, they get more remote. So as, as you go through a chapter here, he's getting to more and more remote places, more and more places like that, really steep-sided hills and valleys uh, and all the rest of it. And yet somehow, somehow Jonathan, his best mate, finds David. And, uh, uh, and we remember, actually, in their relationship, their friendship, Jonathan's quite a bit older. He's heir to the throne, but they're great friends. And actually, look at verses 16 to 18, and as you read those uh, verses, look at verse 16. Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him to find strength in God. And this was the last time they met. Never saw each other again. But he went. I think it's important, isn't it? Jonathan went to find his mate David when David was in trouble. What a good example for us to do. You know someone is in trouble? Go and see them. Get in touch. Go and visit. Someone's sick? Pop in. You know what to say? Take a friend with you. Just go. You know someone's in trouble? Maybe a friend of yours the other side of the country or whatever? Then go and see them. Just pop in, get, jump on a train, get in the car. Jonathan, you know, I, he, he, I don't think he'd have known where David was. He'd have to search for him. Just pop in, go and see people. And then verse 18, it talks about a, a covenant that they make together. This solemn agreement before God. Maybe they promise to pray for each other. Who knows the exact content of that? But Jonathan, uh, he doesn't sort out David's situation. He leaves him there in hiding, but he is a great encouragement. 
Do what you can to encourage other people. A guy called William Ward said this, Flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I might not forgive you. But encourage me, and I will not forget you. The Duke of Wellington, the victor at uh, Waterloo, apparently was not an easy man to serve under. He was brilliant, but he was also demanding, not one to shower his subordinates with compliments. And in his old age, a young lady asked him what, if anything, he'd do differently if he could have his life over again. And Wellington thought for a moment, and he replied, I'd give more praise. How can we praise other people? How can we encourage one another? How could you do that today or tomorrow? Who could it be? John Maxwell, a business guru, uh, has, uh, uh, he starts every day by saying in his language, he says, uh, I work out each day, who can I add value do- to today? Who can I add value to today? It's the same idea. And so he um, uh, intentionally goes out and says, well, here's a group of people, and how can I add value to this group of people? Or these people here, how can I add value to them? And he was, uh, I heard him giving a talk once, and he, uh, um, uh, he gave an example of his grandson, who was about nine or ten. And uh, he'd, he'd said, Grandpa or Granddad or whatever it is, uh, uh, I've, been, I've worked out today how I'm going to add value to people today. I'm going to open the door for people. I'm going to open a door for ten people today, and I'm going to add value to them by doing that. And then, as I've done that, as they go through, I'm going to say to them, have a nice day. I don't know, he's kind of got the idea, really. Just do something in order to encourage someone, to help someone, to add value to them, to build them up, to praise them. Why don't we do that? Why don't we work out some way of doing that? Just simply thanking people. Just doing something for someone else, to to do something good for them, to make them feel good about themselves. You see, living life as a Christian can be hard, and standing up for Jesus will lead to trouble. And we're all going to need help from time to time. We're all going to need people to, uh, uh, to stand by us and to encourage us, and that could be you. Maybe, you know, the House of Bishops have been meeting this week and uh, uh, they have said that they want to be standing up for Christian marriage. Maybe just to write a, uh, a, Christ, a little note to our bishop, to Bishop Martin. The Palace Chichester will get there, okay? And just to say, we were really encouraged. Thank you for standing up for Christian marriage. Encourage the bishops. He's going to get an awful lot of flack, as are the other bishops for doing that and standing up for Christian marriage. And pray for them too. It's really hard. I know uh, some folks are saying, oh, they could have been firmer. They have stood up for Christian marriage. Let's encourage our bishops for doing good things. So, and let's go out of our ways to help someone this week, to bless them, to build them up, to kind, to add value, if that's the way you want to talk about it. So life with God, it's relationship, it's trouble, it's help. And then finally, just briefly, uh, there is protection. I think that's the help one. I should have gone to that. And the next one is protection. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Zip. Day after day Saul searched for him. 
But God didn't give David into his hands. God is protecting David. But do you think at the time it would have felt much like it? Because I guess not. And then that bit at the end where you've got David on one side of this mountain called the rock. And then Saul on the other side of the mountain. And uh, David's going one way, Saul's going the other. And sooner or later they're going to they're meet, aren't they? That's the idea. It's, it's like Tom and Jerry at the end of chapter 23. And sooner or later they're going to meet each other. Until... God sent the Philistines on another raid and Saul had to withdraw to go and sort them out. Now, at the time, both in verse 14 and at the end of the chapter, it seems to me that David will have, whoa, no, this is serious, we're in trouble here. But actually God was invisibly at work there. May not have felt much like it, but God was at work, uh, which we can see clearly here with the wisdom of hindsight. Who sent the Philistines at the end? Did they just turn up? No, I don't think so for one moment. God who protects David, in verse 14, is the same God who sent the Philistines to protect David, in verse 28. And there are times when God is our unseen protector. We may never know that. And occasionally, we will know that. But I'm sure there will be loads of times in our lives when God protects us and we've never known. We haven't got a clue. But we see things here and we know there will be times. And as we pray for other people, that God would protect people. That's why we pray for, for when we travel, isn't it? God, I mean, Anna and I were up in Bedfordshire yesterday. The number of Muppets we saw on the M23, M25 and M1, you would not believe it. I heard someone earlier on, they passed someone in a lorry who was texting. I mean, oh, please, Lord, keep us from Muppets on the roads. Dear me. But it's God's protection. Yeah, the the reason I'm here now, and not in some mortuary of the Luton and Dunstable Hospital, um, is that, uh, and Anna next door to me, (laughs) uh, is because the Lord protects people, doesn't he? So we pray for God's protection, and we thank God for God's protection. It's the eye of faith and it is life with God. It's a relationship. You'll find trouble but you will get help from God's people and God gives us his protection. As I close, do you want to find out more about this God? This God who says life with me is brilliant, it's wonderful. Like David and his relationship with me. Um, but actually uh, it is, there is trouble but there is help. And there is protection in that. And uh, we run these courses called Life Explored. If you want to find out more, then that's a great way of doing it. Or, you know, if you want to just come and ask questions and so on, that's a great way to do it as well. I'd love to uh, talk to you or come see Peter and we can uh, put you in, uh, in touch with our folks who can help. Just one other thing. You know, there, there are folks who come along to church and they sit here during a sermon. They think, actually, this life with God that you're talking about, I'm not sure I've got that now, but I would like to have that. In fact, I I'm, I'm, think I'm ready to start that life with God now. And we have a prayer ministry team at the front who, who are here every Sunday morning. Uh, there's a couple of folks just at the front in the front row down here. And if you wanted to start that life with God, it's simple to have a, just say your own simple prayer, God, I want to start this life with you, please help me to do that. Or you could do it just by coming to see one of the folks at the front or come and see uh, me at the door and we can gladly help you with that.
We're going to pray together now. Uh, let me just pray for us, and then David and Penny uh, will lead us in further prayers straight after uh, I've prayed. Father, thank you. Thank you so much that uh, Christianity, it's not about rules and regulations and just turning up at church and things like that, but it's a relationship with you. Lord, thank you that David had that relationship. And Lord, we know it's a, it's, it's a life which is not always easy, but there is help. And please help us to, to help other Christians. And we do, Lord, also believe in your protection of us. So we pray, Father, that uh, you would protect us. You would give us help when we need it. And you'd help us all to be growing in our relationship with you. For Jesus' sake. Amen.